Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio, in the morning you are with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson, how are you this morning? Oh dude, so good, so alive, so awake, yes. you know, just... You kind of have to be to be on radio. That's right. You can't be asleep on radio, or, it doesn't work or that dead. way. Or dead. Yeah. Neither of those things are yep. going to work for radio. So I was like... You, you know, I was, last night I was thinking like, man, glad I'm not dead because I can wake up and do my job tomorrow. There you go. Yeah. That's a positive <laughs> thought. so great. Glad I'm not dead. All right. So I guess there'd be a lot of people waking up this morning and just saying, hey. Hey, praise the glad Lord. Glad I'm not dead. Also, I, uh, dude, this, dude, this section of the show is just the Lawson Walters motorbike saga. Because um, yesterday. <laughs> let's not talk about, let's talk about anything. I challenge you to come up with okay. something positive. That doesn't have to do with motorbikes. No, well, this isn't necessarily positive. It's just that I crash and scrape my arm up, but like, cool. I didn't hurt, hurt myself really bad. Bummer. You know what? This will be the last time. This is this is the last time. I'm disappointed. Unless any, unless I was really hoping you'd say, and I broke my arm. Yeah. Well, you would be hoping I said that, but I would have had so much more fun. <laughs> I'm like walking in here, like limping with a cast on. But you know what? This okay. This is the last time I'll ever talk about my motorbike. Okay. Uh, well, oh, not not okay. not ever. Okay. But unless okay. a significant development happens that I'm grateful for. If you're listening in this morning, you can uh, we can place. Be- no, we won't place bets. That's gambling. That's right. I'm grateful that my host is outing himself on Faith <laughs> FM, and that I get to steal his job. <laughs> Anyways, what are you grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for significant things, Lawson. Oh, okay. Yes, of actual, oh, like, of actual substance. Like, what, the hose, the shed? <laughs> no, a whole bunch of LGAs that just came out of lockdown. Oh, okay, that's pretty awesome. It's very awesome. It's not our LGA, but... No, neighbouring, <laughs> neighbouring LGA. But, hey, Singleton, did... Singleton's oh, out. Don't okay. Singleton's okay. only like 20 minutes from me. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Uh, by the way, I, I should say this: my penguin story is going to have a silver lining. Okay, okay, sweet, sweet, nice. Yep. All right, so we're going to well, put that, a that, that puts my mind at ease. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about. It, I just came up with a silver lining. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> at least they're not all dead. <laughs> okay, hey, let's have some positively different news this morning. Uh, starting with some interesting penguins? thing that's going. Some interesting things is going on around the world. Oh, I wish I had a penguin story. Hey, guess what? In the Netherlands, they have just built the first and well, not the first ever, but the largest ever um, floating office building. Yes, this is a fantastic idea. So it will host the offices for the Global Centre of f- Adaptation. How can it be the first ever? It's not the first. In- it's no. not the first. It's the largest. The largest. So okay. this is like a 40... 40- such a, such a uh, Dutch thing to do. Dude, it's a 4,500 square metre, three-storey tall office building that floats. It's essentially a giant houseboat that floats on concrete uh, pontoons, sorry. And, um, yeah, it's just this, like, massive thing. They've just uh, inaugurated it. Uh, King Willem Alexander and the UN secretary that came along uh, inaugurated it, put it into action to be used. And it's essentially, they're saying it's pretty much a carbon-neutral building. Oh. So it runs, like, so basically... It runs completely on solar power. Um, this is the really cool part. It has a heat sink underneath it that where the, the running water from the river that it's on 
goes through and cools down the building and then provides cooling for the building. Yeah, that's very cool. Which is really awesome. Uh-huh. I uh, can see how that would work. Yep. And then it's just like floating around and people get onto it. My only thing is I can imagine a really comical situation where your office takes off and you're kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, um, honey, I'm not coming home tonight because, well, the office floated out to sea. Yeah. Hey, babe, I'm just tied up at work at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the middle of the Mediterranean no, Sea. <laughs> uh, North Sea. Well, the, no, the, North Sea? North English Channel. I don't know. Wherever it floats out to yes. Veneza. I would say, yeah, it's like the English Channel and the North Sea. Either one there. of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but essentially, like, this, they're just getting it. It's so interesting. Uh, not interesting, maybe ironic is the word, or just serendipitous that this is the um, this is the building for you know the global center for adaptation on how they can better use methods that are more environmentally sustainable and whatnot. But yeah, this is uh, this huge building. It's got um, it's prefabricated timbers. It's got this overhanging roof that provides shade from the sun. Uh, you've got eight hundred square. Uh, is for an 800 square meter solar panel array. So you've got all these like solar panels powering it, and it's it's just floating around, and and people are going to work. Can't be nice and, to be sitting in your office and feel the office, you know, just moving with. I the don't know. I feel like I'd get. Water. I'd get like. Oh, I don't really get seasick, but I could imagine that would get annoying after a little bit. No, I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, if it's only a river, it's not going to really move. Yeah, that's right. It's a bit lame. But I'm just like, okay, so this is such a Dutch thing to do because Dutch always they look at a piece of water and say, "Oh, there's good land." That's how Dutch people view water. <laughs> yes. They don't view water in the way that we view water. Yeah. We view water as like, oh, that's water. We can't do anything with it. They're like, no, that's land. Yeah. Well, they've, they've done that for like the last how many hundreds and thousands of years? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe a long time anyway. Well, they've done it again. And but the thing is, is like, okay, what's the point of b- building a floating building? Like, this is this is ultimately. Well, my, I like my... the idea of using it as a having a heat sink underneath of it. That's right. That's so you can actually cool. air condition the building. But then you could you could just run like tunnels under buildings, with water th- running through them. Yeah, it's not as cool though. This yeah, is the cool th- factor. that's the thing. There is this cool factor of the water is naturally running northbound. Right. And so they've like it's constantly got that flow, so yes. they don't have to worry about you know. I, I was thinking there like oh, if you just did this to regular buildings and ran a heat sink, so that you know it's it's like carbon neutral. You don't have to spend money on heating or whatever. But then you would have to have a turbine that pumps water through. If you had too many of these buildings, you'd raise the, the the temperature of the river, and that could be bad. That's right. Yeah, that could be really bad. Imagine just all these super hot buildings, and, and then all of a sudden this river out the front of fish Rotterdam die. just become oh, a fish die. It becomes like a bath, and it's just like it'd, be, it'd get like hot and stinky, I think. But anyways, hey, just, no, but we could we could have buildings like this off of, off of places like the Gold Coast and just have warmer water for when we go. But swimming. we have gnarly weather in Australia. Yes, we do. Like even in Lake Macquarie, man, I've I've been out in Lake Macquarie before in like 30, 35 knot winds. Yes, where like the teenies like bouncing around and yes. you're like fearing for your life. Indeed, it's, it's kind of like a miniature Paul experience, shipwrecked Paul experience, where you're like, oh man, but. It's just a tinny in the middle of Lake Macquarie. But the point is, you could definitely not do that here. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. So hopefully, I, well, I've been to the Netherlands before. It's just pretty calm and rainy most of the time. So hopefully this works out for them. But yeah, what about that one day where you have a freak accident, like storm, and you're like stuck in, you know, the, the your floating office loses power. And I don't think it would capsize. Like it's on 
concrete plon- uh, pontoons, but... You know, the Dutch should have come up with this idea a long time ago because back in the medieval period, this would be a great way of defending yourself. Because you've got an automatic moat. Oh, yeah. And if the enemy turns up, you just cut the moorings and your whole country just floats just away. Floats away. <laughs> oh, dude, that is the most successful defence plan ever. At least they didn't kill you. Like, catch us if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny, dude. It's, like- it's kind of the opposite of what the Dutch used to do because with the Dutch used to, you know, go into their cities, close the gates, and then open the dikes. Yeah. And just flood everybody. Mm. It's like... But, but now they're can. just they're just gonna float out to sea and then they're like, well, I guess it's time it's time for fishing. <laughs> that's a cool idea. There's a lot of there's a lot of that's, that's a very fun idea. It's, I like it is, it. It's interesting. It's interesting. Hey, I, I mentioned a story a couple of weeks ago about El Salvador switching over to Bitcoin as one of their official cu- currencies, yes. and they've set up Bitcoin, you know, um, ATMs, and we were kind of looking at that. It's like, okay, this is you know, a new dawn, new day. We'll see how this goes. It was kind of like looking at it from the outside. It's like, oh, this is pretty sketchy because you have a currency that is that doesn't exist. But anyway, it, it doesn't exist, and you know, Elon Musk just needs to get on Saturday Night Live and say something dumb, and you lose like half of your entire life savings. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, hey, um, the uh, the the El Salvadorian public have responded um, by. Burning and vandalizing Bitcoin ATMs, protesting in the street, calling the president a dictator. And so, hey, they're like, they're not really taking it. And El Salvador is a bit of a gnarly country. Yeah. Like, like we're not talking about a fully developed nation. These guys are kind of, it's They don't hold back. They are not. Like, they're literally, I've got this photo here. This is like, this is an ATM. And they're just setting it on fire and like and graffitiing all around it. Like they wow. do not care, dude. If this happened in any, I, I can imagine this happening, trying to happen in the states, and it would it would not go down this way because you'd no. have just like massive police response. But yeah. These guys are just in the street lighting things on fire, and the police are like, "Well, I guess they feel that way." <laughs> it's like, but according to polls, they're in the minority, as eighty five percent of people have are accepting it. 85% like it. So that's the thing. You've got 85% of the country that are like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And then you've got this 15% who are like, all right, let's burn the ATMs. When you've got an ineffective police force, that 15% can actually accomplish a lot. Yeah, that's right. And so the 15%, even though they're the overwhelming minority, they're like, oh, well, let's burn all the ATMs and destroy everything. (laughs) So So there's a positive spin to this season? Yeah, people are getting rid of Bitcoin. Okay. <laughs> Which I don't like Which, personally. This yeah. this this is more my platform, if anything. <laughs> 0491064669 is the number of the call. Give us your thoughts as well. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so recently in New Zealand, well, actually it was a few years ago now, uh, there were a number of school kids who were on, a, on an excursion exploring the coastline mm-hmm. and they discovered a penguin. Oh, not unusual in New Zealand. Yeah, that's pretty. I've seen penguins in New Zealand. This penguin was one point four meters tall. Was it like an emperor penguin? No, those are tiny compared to that. They're I like know. I thought, but I thought ape, emperor penguins were the biggest ones. They they are not the biggest penguins. This is the biggest penguin. This is the penguin. This is the the penguin. king penguin. This is the one. Yeah, this is the one. One point four. That's like your height. <laughs> <Get out, Lyle. laughs> 
Um, okay, so they found this penguin that's 1.4 metres tall. Of course, it was a fossilised penguin. They found it in a freshly uncovered uh, portion of mudstone on the coastline. If they had been there you know, a very short time later, they, it would not have been discovered because it would have mm. been washed away by the movement of water and so forth. But it had, yeah, the water had just sort of just freshly uncovered it. They're looking around for fossils. It was actually an area that is famous for fossils, and they'd gone there as a part of their excursion to actually look for fossils. Mm. And they found this big, big hunking fossil and they're like, okay, wait a minute, this one's actually a little bit more important. This is not the kind of thing we can put in our pocket and take home as a souvenir. And so they came back with some uh, stone cutting uh, material and actually cut that piece of stone out because in the very short space of time between when they actually found the fossil Mm. and when they came back, it had deteriorated significantly. Mm. Uh, Which goes to show, you you know, if they hadn't seen it that particular day, We'd never have it. You'd never have it. Mm. You'd never even know that this penguin ever existed. Mm. But because they happened to accidentally see it, you know, when the kids saw it, and they called the teacher over, and the teacher's going, "Okay, this is a little bit more significant than your average uh, fossil fossil, yeah, leaf discovery yeah. as a fossil." And so uh, they were able to rescue it. Of course, it was only uncovered for a couple of hours at low tide. So it was a bit of a challenge to get it out, but they got it out. And since then, they've been able to study it. They've been able to write a paper on it. And they've been able to give it a name, and which is a long Maori name, which means long-legged penguin. <laughs> because it has long legs, and this was an enormous penguin. Imagine a penguin that is like twice the size of an emperor penguin. Yeah. So a penguin is your favourite animal. This this is... This is like the penguin. This the penguin. Dude. It's extinct. That's really... That's a bummer. But there are a couple of things that it highlights. First of all, this penguin is made out of stone, right? Well... Um, it's made out of stone because it's been fossilised. Yeah, that's right. And... Uh, it would have disappeared within a short number of months if it hadn't been rescued. Mm. So how do people speculate that fossils occurred by animals just dying and laying on top of the ground? Mm. Because this is a stone one that would have disappeared in a couple of months... How does how do you get the world just saturated with fossils that just died on top of the ground? How do we yeah. how do we run our world off of fossil fuels if they just died and laid on top of the ground? Mm. The only way you can have fossils and the only way that they can be preserved and the only way you can have fossil fuels is for those fossils to be instantly covered. Mm. Instantaneously covered. Else you're not going to get anything. Mm. I've seen lots of things die out in the paddock. You don't get fossils from that. It yeah, doesn't happen. Right. You don't get an Earth's crust that is just about made out of fossils in some parts of the world, mm. uh, this, this place being one of them. You get that as a result of instantaneous burial. The other thing that they found out that was uh, super interesting as they researched this particular fossil is that when it was fossilised, it was fossilised in deep water. Mm. Surprise, surprise. I wonder how that would have happened. <laughs> you know, they're, they're saying like, yeah, yeah, this emperor, this emperor penguin, this, not emperor penguin, this big penguin is uh, 35 million years old. Yeah, I kind of doubt that. Mm. Because all of the evidence that you are showing me from uh, what you have discovered and written in this paper is pointing this, to, pointing this penguin to being something that was laid down in the flood. Mm. Some massive catastrophe that buried it. Mm. 
So interesting stuff. The other thing also that is interesting is that, once again, wherever you go back in time, you're going to find all of the same creatures. They're just bigger. Yeah, that's right. You know, our world has declined and declined and declined. It is not evolving into bigger and better. It is declining into smaller and weaker. That is so true, dude. Like, how does anyone look at this and just not see, like... Everything. Find anything that is current today and that existed in the fossil record. It's always universally bigger. Mm. Twice the size of what we have today. Mm. Anyway, uh, Darren Pratt was talking to us yesterday about Instagram and the revelation that Facebook has known that Instagram is very harmful for teenagers, particularly teenage girls, and they've known this for a long time because of their internal research. Well, the US Senate is now launching an an investigation into Facebook over this um, because basically they knew about it and they did nothing. And the worst thing that they actually did, according to what the US Senate is looking at, is that they did not disclose. Mm. Because they should have at least disclosed how harmful Instagram was, particularly for teenage girls. They knew that a third of teen girls... Uh, their mental health was was negatively impacted by Instagram. Mm. They knew that 13 point, 13% of suicide survivors blamed Instagram. Mm. Now, that's a big figure. That's a very significant figure uh, when, you, when you think about you know, all the different reasons why a teenage girl would attempt suicide. They knew all of this, and basically the US Senate is like, okay, Facebook... Uh, has over and over and over again and repeatedly uh, demonstrated they are totally incapable of holding themselves accountable because, you know, there's been a whole bunch of Facebook scandals for a long time. Mm. They follow a growth-at-all-costs mindset. They uh, prioritise profit over health Um, and they've covered up clear evidence of significant harm. Mm. And so basically what, what the accusation is, is this is a massive cover-up. You knew this was wrong. You knew, knew that this was a problem and you did nothing about it. You just covered it up. You buried the research. Uh, you've got 22 million teens who are logging on to Instagram every day and you're doing nothing for their health, nothing to help them in any way, shape or form. Instead, what you're going out and doing is developing Facebook, sorry, Instagram for under 13-year-olds. Yeah. You know, this is the kind of behaviour that you see in drug companies that are trying to sell cigarettes, Mm. you know, recreational drugs, or even uh, alcohol companies that are targeting, you know, a market as young as they possibly can get away with. Mm. You know, so for so long, you know, if you look back at the history of the marketing of, you know, cigarettes and alcohol, it was targeted for so many decades at children. The advertising would go out at peak times when children would see that advertising. Mm. And why was this? Well, they knew that if they could get children addicted, they would have that person addicted for life yep. and they could cash in on that addiction. And this mm. is what Facebook is doing. They're cashing in on addiction. They're saying, okay, we have an addictive product. How can we make it more addictive and how can we get people addicted younger? Mm. Yeah, this could go very, very badly for Facebook, but it's definitely something we need to be aware of. A new study in the UK has found that 43% of Brits believe that prayer is good for their health. Oh, wow. That's a big figure when you look at how few... 
Brits actually go to church. Mm. 45% are anxious about the future. 53% are anxious about the mental health of the next generation. And 43% believe that prayer made them feel more hopeful. Well, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Spend some time in prayer today, particularly if you are feeling anxious about something. Prayer is the first place to go. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay. If you know the answer. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to our interview of the day. And joining us on the phone this morning is Luke Ferrugia from Oz Table Talk. Luke, welcome to the show. Good morning. Wow. How are you doing? Yeah, fantastic. We would love to hear about what you guys have been doing on the Oz Table Talk podcast over the last month. Give us a few tidbits of what's been happening there. Mm, well, the most uh, actually the most popular episode is the one that's gone out just this week, and that was entitled uh, "Guess Who: When Satan Impersonates Jesus." Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It was a, it was a good topic. We had we had a really fun discussion around that because yeah, we talk a lot about you know, the Bible talks about deception in so many places, right? And there's so many examples of it. Jesus himself spends a lot of time, especially in Matthew chapter 24, talking about deceptions and false prophets and false Christs that will come. But um, if you read further in Scripture, you know you can definitely see that uh, Satan himself will will be doing some impersonating. And so, as we uh, sort of explored that, we, we wrestled with that, and what that could to get towards the end of time. Okay, so this is an interesting thought because I've never actually seen somebody. You know, we often talk as Christians, and I hear people of of, of many different faiths who talk about Satan. Uh, you know, personating the return of Christ, coming as a, uh, a counterfeit of the return of Christ and so forth, but I've never seen anybody mm. who's actually put together a Bible study on that subject. Did you get a mm. Bible study that came out of this particular discussion on Satan personating the return of Christ? Yeah, well, a, a lot of it is, uh, yeah, well, the short answer is yes. So we spent most of our time, uh, we looked in... Um, as the Matthew 24, we looked in, in uh, Thessalonians and also Revelation and, and tied some of those details together, looking also in, in Revelation chapter 13 and just talking about the, the nature of these end-time deceptions. And uh, ultimately, the, when Jesus himself says that false Christ and false prophets will emerge, it's not even a, it's not a single, right? It's, it's the plural nature of that. And so we also looked at, in history at a lot of the, the times where uh, there were there have been people that have claimed to be Christ and the effect that that's had and how we can be safe from those deceptions. Yeah, and I think we can take that uh, you know false Christ even a little bit and, and a step further rather than just okay this person over here or that person over there claims to be Jesus mm. because mm. the word you know the, the word Christ means obviously savior. There's certainly been a lot of people that have claimed to be a false savior. Yeah. Mm. Interesting, Absolutely. interesting discussion. Oh, and. Mm. Uh, it's interesting also when you get a discussion like that, put a subject out, and you find that you get more hits on the recent one than you got on the uh, on the ones that have been up for a month or so already. So obviously yeah. obviously yeah. doing well. That one's, that one's definitely going a bit more viral than the others. So mm, um, definitely. good to hear that one, Luke. Luke, what, what else have you been talking about? So the, the one previous to that was, is it okay to bargain with God? And okay. uh, this, this is a question that, that came from one of our listeners, and, and it was just a a really interesting discussion because often, you know, you'll see or some people will have that experience where it'll be, oh, well, God, if you just do this thing for me, you know, get me out of the situation, then I, you know, I'll do this for you as, as some kind of payment or exchange. 
And uh, we were talking about whether, is like, is that okay? Does God expect that? And how should we think about that? What, what would be the appropriate uh, way of approaching God in those scenarios? Did you have a look at uh, the experience of Abraham bargaining with God? Yes, we did. We talked about Abraham and uh, we, we sort of uh, extrapolated from that some, some principles. We also, also talked about, even though it wasn't a direct correlation, we spent a fair bit of time talking about Gideon as well because of uh, his request of a fleet. Uh, you know, it is in a way, even though he was asking God for confirmation, in a way, it, we were talking about how we can sometimes use those sort of things to get the answer we want rather than actually listening to what God wants for us. Yes, yes. And, and you know, the, the story of Gideon is such a classic story because, you know, first he asks the angel to stay and the angel stays and then does a, a, a miracle and then and then he asks for the fleece and then he asks for it again and then he's mm. still doubting. You know, God knows he's still doubting and so God sends him to the camp of the Midianites where, you know, he, he hears a dream and so forth. It's a, um, it, it, it's a great story that, you know, even that reminds us even in our our lack of faith, God is always there for us because yeah. He knows our weakness. Yep, absolutely. One of the one of the key ideas that we sort of came out of this with is that there's nothing that we can give God that puts us in a high bargaining position. So, you know, if we're trying to bargain with God by by paying Him off and having some sort of value exchange, there's nothing we have that is of any real value in a bargaining sense. So, God actually is in a position where He wants. To help us, he actually has, he's invested in us as individuals, and he wants what's best for us. And so we can pray to him, we can we can come to him with our with our requests and, and the burdens that are on our heart, and he wants to hear those things. But there's no need for bargaining with him because one, we don't have anything that that he would need, and secondarily, we don't need to um, we don't need to force him to do anything because he already wants what's best for us. Mm, mm, absolutely. Mm. What else? What else? You guys been uh, talking about? So we had a fun one before that. We asked the question: Does praise make you proud? Does praise Ooh. make you proud? That's a banger. Mm. That's good. Yeah, I yeah, would yeah. never so, have thought of this one. I would never have even entered my head to even have this discussion. Mm. But it's made well, Lawson, uh, Lawson's uh, pricked up his ears right here. Lawson, why does this? Why does this um, catch your attention? Um, just particularly because of like, when I think of praise, I, I think of it in the context of like praise and worship and music and those kinds of things. And often when we're put in a position where we're kind of like up the front leading, we can, or well, you can draw attention to yourself rather than to God. And I think this is a, a pitfall that a lot of, yeah, that a lot of like contemporary movements can fall into that. And literally anyone can fall into If you put yourself in a place of representing God in the in the space of like praise like it, it's very possible that then you can start receiving praise and that can make you proud that that's my thought maybe you're talking about it from a different perspective but i was like oh that's really interesting so so Luke, where does where does lawson's where does lawson's uh, comments fit into what you guys actually talked about Lawson, you're bang on, mate. You're oh, bang on. Let's that's exactly go, right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's it, man. You've got to go listen to it now. Right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's exactly right. We were talking about that, the fact that as humans, when we you know, when we receive praise, does that somehow make us proud? And if it does, how do we manage that? Because mm. ultimately, when we, when we do anything positive, especially if we bring value to other people, and especially spiritually, right, if you're, if you're leading out or preaching or whatever, uh, you know, people often will, will lift you up for that. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing when done in the right way. 
And so the, the question is not should we stop, like, should we praise people or should we not praise them? Well, actually, it is. We talked about that. Should it be, we, we, the conclusion we came to in, in that sense is, should you praise people? Yes. Should you flatter them? No. Then there's a big difference between oh, the two. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. So um, we sort of explored what that, what does that really look like, and what does that mean in practical terms? And uh, like some of us were reflecting, you know, like I, I can speak from my experience. I know when I was uh, early, I guess you could say, in my in my faith journey, um, I was uh, people shared the idea with me, and I kind of like took it on myself that you know, if you receive any praise and you don't like immediately point all the glory to God, then you were sinning at that point because you were you were um, taking glory from God. And uh, we talked about how that, how nuanced that position is because ultimately, you know, a lot of people, if they're someone's not a Christian or perhaps they don't have the same understanding and they're, and they're encouraging you and saying you did a good job at doing something, if you deflect that every single time and, you know, you correct them for praising you, then, you know, you're not taking the, the, the spirit of which they were trying to intend to, to encourage you with, right? You're, you're actually doing them a disservice by doing that. And so how do you, the question is then how do you, uh, flex those boundaries. How do you understand that and, and take it in a way that's healthy for you and them? And then how do you process it internally? So that was sort of where we went with that. Wow, that's a really interesting discussion. Hey, did you get into, so this is this is a controversial one, in some circles, we mm. used to be, it used to be a controversial one back in the 90s. Uh, did you mm. get into clapping versus amen? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we didn't actually talk about that. But, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good question. And I, I'm actually curious. Well, I mean, I will tell you what I think. But what do you, what do you think on that point? Give me, give me the short ten second answer. Well, okay. So when we say amen, clearly we are saying I agree. And when you say I agree, because you know that's what amen means, it is yeah. I agree with the message. So amen is a very, very positive thing. A very, very positive. Um, Thing that an audience can say when they are either listening to a presentation or to um, music or to praise or whatever by saying amen, it's always going to have, you know, you can't get anything negative from that because you're not giving any praise to the individual. What you're doing is you're saying, I have been blessed by the message. So that's very, very clear cut. Uh, when it comes to clapping, it's one of those things that, you know, I used to feel very uncomfortable with it. And, okay, so I'm going to – I'm just sharing my opinion here this morning uh, because I'm like, well, when I'm clapping, is it clear? Is the message going to be clear to others in the audience that I am clapping because I'm super excited about the message that I've heard or am I clapping because I'm super excited about the talent of the people who have brought me that message? And so I've always liked – I've you know, personally, I've always liked Amen uh, better – now, what I do find in public evangelism is that, of course, you know, when people come into a worship service who have never been into worship service before, they don't actually understand what amen is. That's not a, an English word. That's not a word we use in the English language. So they've got no idea what's going on. Whereas when you clap, that's something they can participate in because that's something they've done many times before. And who am I to judge what is another person's heart as far as whether they are agreeing with the message or disagreeing with the message? And so... Um, culturally, I think that, you know, we need to be able to respond in a way that people within our culture can understand and appreciate. Now, I'm probably going to get a whole bunch of comments on this, and so I'm going to give our number out right now. It is 0491064669. Let us know what you think, clapping or amen. We'll pass it on to Luke. Maybe Luke can do an episode just on this one sometime. <laughs> but that's that's sort of my uh, that's that's my initial analysis of it at this particular point. 
And I think yep. that we need to be able to communicate our appreciation of a message in a way <laughs> that people can actually understand who, who do not know God because everything that we do, we should do in the mind of the people who are in our audience who are experiencing this for the first time. No, I appreciate that. And I, I definitely agree. I see the value of an amen. And if we were in a cultural spot where that was understood, I would say, well, that that makes sense, right? Like that's, that's a great thing to do. And I still think it's a great thing to do. I appreciate it. If I'm up front and someone gives me an amen, I, like, I, I take that for what the accurate purpose is. But, yeah, that was the exact thing that I was going to talk about, the fact that I, I think the culture that we're in now, I think the applause is the the appropriate thing in the culture, and so therefore I think we should we should utilize that because otherwise the, it's um, yeah especially if, if the, the people are trying to like you're saying you know they, they don't know that um, they don't have any other alternatives in their mind that's how you express appreciation as in an audience context so yeah I, I agree I think culturally it does make sense and so we do need to make allowances for how we understand that I agree yeah maybe maybe what we can do is uh, combine the two together. Uh, that way, we give a uh, a very clear message, and people can actually learn what you know what the Christian yeah. the Christianese they can learn some Christian Christianese uh, language at the same time as being able to be, to show their appreciation. You know, there's nothing more uncomfortable than when somebody performs up front, or um, you know, you, you're in that kind of environment, and everybody sort of sits there. Now, what do we do? Do we clap? Do we say amen? Yeah. Do we do nothing? And you sort of get that hesitant pause and then someone claps and then half the people clap and it just and and, and what it, the message that it sends out to the seekers in the audience is that this congregation is very very uh, uninterested in the message that has been presented and so if that seeker exactly. has been interested they're feeling like the odd one out it's like wow i thought that mm-hmm. was amazing obviously it was terrible i must be a moron yeah yeah precisely and so we need to be very careful of the message that we that we send out to seekers in our audience. There are many ways that we can do that, and I actually have a whole presentation on uh, different ways that we can, yeah, basically pour water on the Holy Spirit's fire as he's lighting fires. We run around as good Christians and uh, hose it down with a fire hose. But I never had that problem because I'm just the first one to clap. I just stand up and make noise and clap and... Yeah. Good for you, mate. Do you, do you want to move to Bundaberg and escape <laughs> <all the> lockdown? <laughs> okay, so we've got a bunch of text messages coming through already. We're going to come back to these after the news. Um, so I'm going to give that number out again. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this one, your opinion. Uh, 0491-064-669. Uh, of course, amen is mentioned. You know, that's a, that's a Bible term. We find that in the Bible. Clapping, not so much. Uh, but let us know what your thoughts are. Luke, thank you so much. Uh, Oz Table Talk, where do we find that? You can find it at oztabletalk.com.au or on any good podcast program. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.